Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. Make sure that your tray tables are in their upright and locked position. We are about to fly. We've got a million things to cover. We're going to cover chapter 11 of the book of Romans. The first 32 verses, it is too much to cover in the time that we have allotted, but we're going to do it anyway. So, got to get ready. For those of you who are note takers, I know you haven't had time to settle in, get settled right quick. I want to give you the main thought for this whole passage. So get ready to get it down because here's the deal. Chapter 11 of the book of Romans answers a single question. It answers one question alone, and it's very easy for you to not care because it's not a question that you're going to ask very often. And so it would be very easy that in just a few moments you're planning your summer vacation, you're going to be planning your trips to Disney, you're going to be planning all these kind of things, and I don't want you to miss the main point. Now I would ask you to hang on, try the best you can to hang on, because we will shift gears about halfway through this thing, because it does have application to it. But anyway, we've got to deal with it. I think it's really interesting, I think it's really good, but I'm a nerd. So there you go. Here's the main point. The main point is this, the Lord's promises are a gift and are irrevocable for all time and eternity. The Lord's promises are a gift and are irrevocable for all time and eternity. There you go. That's the main point, holds up through the whole first 32 verses of chapter 11. Now having said that, we are back in Romans now, I feel comfortable again. I feel like I'm back home. This has been a great study for me, but uh, like I said, we're doing the first 32 verses of this. I think I need to catch us, get us back up to speed. If you remember back a while back, we were in Romans chapter 8, first verse said, um, for there is therefore no, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People say you have to be careful with that verse because people will hear that and think that they can do whatever they want to and live however they want to and still be a Christian. My answer to that is, well, what you're saying is true. They can do anything they want to. They can be anything. There is no condemnation. The thing is, is that if you are truly a Christian... If you, if you do have Christ in your heart and you realize the cost that he paid, the price that he paid in order to redeem you and make you new, you're not going to want to do all of these other things. You're going to want to honor him to the best of your ability. And sometimes you're going to do ridiculous things that you're going to be ashamed of, but when you do, there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. So number one. The second thing that came out of verse, uh, chapter 8, because I think chapter 8 is just, the most delicious chapter in the Bible is uh, Romans 8:28. For we all know that, for we know that, uh, let's do it in this, not, not how I memorized it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And there are five assurances in that one little verse. The first assurance is that God works. We know he works. He works all the time. For God works, God works for good. Whatever God's doing, he's working it for good. For God works, get it right, God works, he works in our lives, he works for our good, 
He works in the lives of those who he loves and who love him. And God works in our lives because he has a purpose for our lives. God works, works in our lives, works in our lives for good, works in our lives for those that he loves. And God works in our lives because he has a purpose for us. Then we get to verse 29, and this is where we start getting off the rails for a lot of us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's where we're talking about foreknowing. For the longest, thing, longest time, I thought foreknowledge meant that God knew what I was going to do and who I was going to become, and therefore he made his choice to save me or not based on that. And then I finally learned enough of the faith to understand that I can't do anything to be deserving in God's eyes, that I am totally depraved, I'm a complete sinner for all of sin, fall short of the glory of God, that is me. So, what does foreknowledge mean? Foreknowing, when in the Bible, knowing someone means to know them intimately, to love them. Foreknowledge means that before I knew who you were, I'd already decided I was going to love you. What's the best illustration of that? She's not in here right now. She just played the drum. She just sang. She was outside. She is, as Logan's wife, is as pregnant as any one human being can be. She has not seen the child. It has not been delivered. She did not, does not know what little Taft is going to look like. They say they're not going to name it Taft, but I'm telling you, <laughs> that child we call Taft. Do you understand me? <laughs> anyway, where's Logan? Oh, he's not in here either right now. That's good. Anyway, she knows nothing about this child, and yet she loves this child. She has purposed in her heart, just like y'all have, with a little bambino there, just like you have, purposed in your heart that you will love this little booger no matter what he does, no matter where he goes, no matter, no matter, it doesn't matter. I am going to love you. That's what foreknowledge means in the Bible. Those whom he foreknew, he loved you before you ever came to be, before you'd ever done anything, before he knew. Of course, he always knew, but you know what I'm saying. He purposed in his heart that he was going to love you. Now, folks took some umbrage to that and all of chapter 9 because all of chapter 9 talks about predestination. We all have a desire to control our own fates. And I said then we wouldn't break fellowship over all this because I knew chapter 10 was coming. In chapter 9, it talks about God's predestined us, and he calls us, and he elects us. And then you get to chapter 10, and chapter 10 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we've got chapter 9 saying election, calling, predestination. Chapter 10 saying whoever wants to can be saved. Let me tell you how I've worked all that out in my mind. God's God, I'm not. You got it, I'm good. I can't do any more than that. I don't understand God does what he does without violating how he created us. We have certain freedoms that he gave us, but at the same time, I can't know that I need to be saved unless God calls me to salvation because I don't even know what I don't have. I don't know how it all works together. I don't have to know. It's above my pay grade. I'm good. So I move on from there. That gets me to chapter 11. Now, here's the primary thought in chapter 11. We're going to answer five questions. The main question is, has God rejected Israel? Here's why that question's asked. For 10, chap for ten ver uh, chapters, for 10 chapters, Paul has been talking about that the, 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 you know, the law's been fulfilled, that we don't live by the law now, we live by grace, that we're saved by grace, by faith, that Jesus did it all, that, that it's not the law that gets us where we're going to go. And, and if you're a thinking person, you start to think, now, well, no, wait a minute, he keeps talking about the people of Israel, the Jews, have missed the boat, 
Has God rejected Israel? I thought Israel was God's chosen people. So has he rejected them? Paul starts with chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, says this. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He loved them before they were a people. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Now, God has God rejected Israel, the people of promise. That's what this chapter is about. And Paul uses the strongest phrase he can. If it were, we've talked about this, and we've talked about this a number of times. Y'all probably know the Greek of it, because I always use the Greek, meganoito. I hear that in my head when he says this. May it never be, absolutely not. If it were translated into the way we talk, it would be offensive in church. He is making such a strong no that he is saying, heck no. No, it would not happen. I mean, it's stronger than that. It's just a furious kind of no. He has not rejected his people. And then he comes back with an argument, which is a pretty, makes sense. He says, what about me? I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm the Jewish, I'm the most Jewish guy you can get. Come from the tribe of Benjamin. I've, I've been a Pharisee. I've done everything in the world. You can't get more Jew than I am, and yet I'm saved. So if you're saying, has God rejected Israel, am I chopped liver? I mean, what's the deal here? I don't get it. And do you not remember Elijah? I talked about him last week if you were here. Elijah's sitting up on the mountainside. He's had this great victory, and now they say they're going to kill him. And he's sitting on the side of the mountain in this little cave going, oh, woe it's me. Oh, God, you're so lucky to have me. I'm the only one that's left. And when I'm gone, there'll be nobody else. And it's just a horrible thing. And God says to him essentially in Randy language, would you please hush? You are getting on my nerves. There are 7,000 of you that I have called to my name who support me, who love me, who are going to be my people, hush boy, pull up your pants, let's get to work. He had a remnant. We have some people here, we have some folks that visit from time to time that for the longest time went to the Messianic church in Macon. Messianic Jewish church. These people are Jews, runs through their vein, ethnic Jews who believe that Jesus is Messiah. There's a remnant, and that was, that's what Paul is pointing out to us here. Has God rejected his people? Has he broken his promises? No, God doesn't break his promises. He has a remnant of people he saved. So what's God done with Israel right now? You ain't going to like this. I promise you you don't like this. Because when I, when I first read it, the first thing I said is, I don't like this. Verses 7 through 9. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. They were trying to be righteous. They failed. The elect attained it. We weren't trying to be righteous, and yet now God's called us to salvation. But the rest, the Jews, were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Now, if you're honest with yourself, and a lot of times in church we want to lie to ourselves and pretend that everything's okie-dokie, hunky-dory, but if you're honest with yourself, or at least I was honest with myself, it doesn't seem fair to me 
that if God blinds your eyes and then you go to hell, that don't sound right. That would be like this building catching on fire and I hold the door closed so that all of you burn to death on the inside and then me walk away and go, well, you know, they had a chance. Well, no, you didn't have a chance. I was holding the door closed. So this didn't make sense to me. He, he God, gives them a spirit of stupor. And I go, what? That doesn't sound right. So here's what I want us, here's what I do. Here's what you should do. I want us to learn how to figure these things out. When we have something we don't understand, maybe we start looking back through the scriptures and see if there's something that explains what we don't understand. And in Romans, there is. You go back to Romans chapter 1. Don't turn there. I'll, I'll tell you what it says. In Romans chapter 1, God says these words. You'll remember them. We went through them. I made a big deal out of it. Made, said these words. God gave them up. Y'all remember that? God gave them up. It says God gave them up to the lust of their heart. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a debased mind. When it says that God gave them a spirit of stupor, essentially what he did is this. He said, here's the deal. That's what you want to do? Do it. I'm not going to stop you. If that's what you want to do, do it. And the word stupor has some color to it. it what, what, what it means is, I, you know, I don't know this personally. I've never been involved in anything like this. Cough, cough. I know some of y'all have been. But, but when somebody gets drunk, there's a bunch of you out and, you, and you're partying. I've never been out to that kind of party before. But let's suppose that I had been. Uh, and you go out to a party and people are getting good and drunk. And there's that one person there that just acts like a total idiot. And you all think he's hysterical. Because everything he does is stupid. Y'all aren't smiling. Y'all have been there. Don't pretend on me. So he's, he's acting like an idiot. And you think he's hysterical. So you know what you do? You buy him another drink. Because then he's going to drink that drink. And he's going to be even more hysterical. That is a spirit of stupor. It's where everybody's, God is standing there saying, you know what, no, go ahead, do whatever you want to do. You do whatever you want to do. In fact, in fact, you know what, there's other stuff over here. If you want to do that, you can do that too. In fact, there's stuff over here. If you want to do that, why don't you go ahead and do that too? That's what this is, is he's saying, listen, I, my hands are off of you. And everything that's out there that you want to get into, everything that's out there that you want to get into, it's yours. You have at it. I'm not touching it. You can have whatever it is that you want to have. I, I don't have time to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. So y'all just, I'm sorry. But I was reading a thing yesterday about a guy from uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. This was back in my day. Uh, and Campus Crusade for Christ back in those days was rabid. Those guys, if you said good morning to them, before they finished saying good morning to you, they had always, already witnessed to you. These people were just, they were witnessing machines. And they were assigned to certain college campuses, and this guy was assigned to this, was assigned to Harvard. And he was a witnessing machine, and he was the guy that, that you knew that he was going to give you Jesus. Hey, how are you? Hey, it's a good day in Jesus. Are you saved? And off he goes. Well, there was a particular guy that was just so fed up with it, he didn't want to hear it anymore. He hid from the guy. 
you know how you do that. You go, you're going down the grocery aisle and you see them in the aisle, so you turn around and go the other one. And, or you're walking down the street and you see them and you cross the street or you duck into a building. Y'all weren't reacting any at all to me this morning. It makes me wonder if y'all have done this or if I'm the only one in my life. But I'm telling you right now, I've seen folks in the grocery store that I saw them going to the milk aisle, which is where I knew I was going to go. And instead, I went to the potato chips. Because I'd wait until I figured they were through the milk, and then I'll sneak or peek and see. I just did, and I know you do too, so you ain't fooling nobody. So anyway, this guy's hiding from him, but one day he wasn't vigilant, and lo and behold, he's face to face with him. Hey, how are you doing? And he starts with Jesus, and he says this to him. He says, listen, I appreciate it, but I don't want to hear about Jesus anymore, okay? I am just tired. Every time I see you, you're t- I don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. And the guy says, not a problem. Can I pray with you before I go? And the guy says, yeah, go ahead, pray for me. And he says, dear father, my brother here doesn't want to hear about Jesus anymore. And Lord, I pray that you grant him the desire of his heart that for now, for the rest of his life, he never has to hear about Jesus. And in the middle of him saying that, the guy says, wait a minute, I didn't go that far. In his heart, there's still that knowledge that there's something there. Don't quite go that far. Spirit of stupor covers up a lot, but the still God put in us that eternity. That's question number two. Question number three. Oh, don't let me skip this. Verse nine says, let their table become a snare and a trap. And this is important for us to understand. Talks about their table. He's talking about their blessings. That they have so much food on their table that they've got enough for their family. They got enough for their friends. They got enough food for their next door neighbors. They got enough food for the dog. They got enough food for the cat. In fact, they're throwing food out. Does that sound like us? How many times, I I would suspect most of us probably clean out our refrigerators once a week or so. Maybe, hopefully, because there's probably green stuff in the back, you know, because it's, it's, you, you, you put your leftovers in there. We have so much, we are so blessed That's what he's saying about Israel. Israel was so blessed. They had so much that it became a snare to them. Keep that idea in mind because we're going to talk about that. So many blessings that the blessings themselves became a snare. Question number three, why would God do such a thing? Why would he cause them to have a spirit of stupor? Why would he go to the Gentiles instead of sticking with the Jews? So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall, that they might fall away, they might, they, that, that they'd not be his anymore? Again, he says, make an oito, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so that it flips around and makes them jealous for what the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. He did it so that the Gentiles, us, people who are not ethnic Jews, so that we'd be saved, and once we were saved... Once we were saved, the Jews would see what God's doing with us and they would want what we, what we have. Now, here's the thing, a little tidbit. We're not going to pursue it. We could go that way for a long time, but just for a second. You know, a lot of people don't want to be Baptist because Baptists have a bad, a bad habit of fighting. They do. And, and you, can, you can sit here and ignore it and act all pious and holy, but... You know, if I, if I were to raise my hand and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take these pews out and we're going to put in stadium seats, I might as well come down here and strip down and get ready to have a fight. 
because that's the way we operate in the Baptist church. What we have to understand in all the churches, now the Methodists are doing the same thing right now. You can go across the street, they're having their own problems right now in a big sense. We've got to understand that God did what he did so that people could see what he's doing for this other group so this other group would be envious of what they had. Now to be envious of what you have, I've got to want what you've got. We've got to live and let people see that we've really got good stuff. That we don't just fight all the time. That we don't have issues all the time. That we really do love one another. That we really do care for one another. That we really are for one another. That we really are for the community. We really do like people. That we really aren't against everything. And when we start being that way, people might start saying, you know what, I kind of like what what these people have going over here let me go see what they're doing that's what God did here he, he saved the Gentiles so the Jews would look at them and go you know what maybe we missed something maybe we, maybe we should have what they want so question number four what will ultimately happen to Israel he says this in verse 25 and 26 lest you be wise in your own <clears throat> excuse me <coughs> Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, until all the, all the Gentiles that were supposed to be saved get saved. And this way, then Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Revelation says that in the end of time, that during what we call the Great Tribulation or what we think would be that period of time, that 144,000 Jews are going to be saved. Those 144,000 Jews are going to spread out around the world. And during the tribulation, there's going to be a tremendous awakening for Jesus. And lots and lots of people will be saved. And lots of people will be martyred for the faith because all Israel, and what he means by all Israel, is not everybody in Israel, but all of the ones who in Israel who are supposed to believe, who will believe, who God foreknows will believe, that all of them will be saved. End of story. Did God forsake his people? Absolutely not, Paul says. He's got a plan. He's working his plan. That's what's going to happen. Why did God take the tactic that he used? Why did God do what he did? Why is Israel in the situation that it's in? Arrogance. It's arrogance. They had all the promises of God. All of history flowed through them. All of the salvation history of the world flows through the Jews and they were arrogant. We know what we're doing. We know when we should do it. We know the right things to do. We know what's going on. What y'all should do is quit trying to tell us how this thing's supposed to work. You need to sit down. You need to shut up and listen to us because we've got it right. Look at our table. Look at how blessed we are by being a Jew. Now, what difference does that make to us? That's what chapter 11 is about in a nutshell. There is no direct application to that for us because the specific question is about God's salvation plan for the nation of Israel. If you're doing a deep dive Bible study, you might remember Psalm 94 that says, the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. And when you hear that, you might think to yourself, well, did God reject the Jews? And then you read chapter 11 and you read for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable and you understand that no, he did not kick them out. 
It's a season. What difference does that make to us? What difference does any of this make to us? I see in here several principles that apply very directly to us. And something that happened in the news just in the last couple of weeks illustrates this perfectly. First thing, have you ever heard of David Barton of Wall wall Builders? You ever heard of that? Yes is yes, this is no, that means you're sound asleep. You hadn't heard of Wall Builders? Okay, David Barton. David Barton has an organization called Wall Builders. One of the things they have is a website. That's where I go to. On that website, they have a collection of all of the, not all of, but a large number of documents that were written at the founding of our country. Original documents kind of stuff. So that when you read that history, you know that you're reading the real thing. I'm not getting your idea of what happened then. I'm getting what happened. This is the direct report written by a person from that time. So I'm hearing all of the things from Jefferson and Adams and, and you name the guys, mine's blank, but names all those people that, that wrote during that period of time. It's on that website because Barton wants us all to know what the history of this country truly was, how we were honest to goodnessly founded. We were founded, as modern people say, we were founded by some folks seeking to make a profit off of the bounty of the promised land. We were. But we were also founded by a more substantial number of folks who were seeking religious freedom. They were fleeing from religious persecution. They were seeking to exercise their religion freedom. The pilgrims were one of those. Y'all heard of the pilgrims, right? If you go to history.com and you look at the, and you Google up and you, you search for pilgrims, the first sentence in the history.com uh, explanation says this. Some 100 people, many of them seeking religious freedom in the new world, set sail from England on the Mayflower in September of 1620. Many of them seeking religious freedom. Many. That means more than half. Many of these people, the majority of these people, most of these people, that's what they were coming over here for. Y'all have heard of the Puritans, right? Puritans were the same thing. They're the ones, do y'all remember the Massachusetts Bay Colony? You know, I remember that from my history stories like 200 years ago when I was a kid. Massachusetts Bay Colony was started by the Puritans. The Puritans were profit-driven. That was, they had two things that drove them. One was profit. They're coming to the new world. There's, it, to be explored, there's lots they can get here. It's going to be a great thing. But the second thing, they had two things that were driving them. The second thing that was driving them was, is they hated the Church of England. They thought it was too close to Catholicism, that it was wrong. And they came over here because they knew they could worship like they wanted to. That's what drove them over here. That's what our nation was founded on. Our nation was founded on, and you may think, I don't know about that. It was. Go read the the writings. Our nation was founded on the idea that Gray could be Baptist, Clinton could be Methodist, Haddock could be Presbyterian. That if you wanted to live in Gray, and you decided that, you know what, all of these Baptists need to be Presbyterian. So you start a movement, the people in Gray would say, let me help you understand something. We're Baptists. (laughs) <laughs> you want to be Presbyterian? Go to Haddock. You don't get to live here. And that sounds a little, you know, we don't do that kind of thing now. That's the way this country was established because the idea was we want to worship like we want to. And that is true. That is true 
separation of church and state. They came over with the idea that the state will not mess with us, period. If we want to pray at a football game on Friday night, there is nobody that can come into gray and say, you can't do that because this community says we're going to. Well, Randy, what about the minority? If the minority don't like us praying at a football game, I hate it for you. It stinks to be you. Go somewhere where they don't pray. That's the way we were set up. Now, we're in a little different place now. David Barton. So I'm clicking, looking at David Barton, and I've, you know, I'm Googling, and Wikipedia pops up. Y'all know that you can trust Wikipedia about half the time. Wikipedia pops up, and whoever wrote the article about David Barton says this which is on the next page of your notes. He says, David Barton is an evangelical Christian political activist that promotes unorthodox theories about the religious basis of the United States of America. Unorthodox theories. If you go back and read the actual documents, you'll find out what the truth is, but whoever wrote this article says that what he says is unorthodox theories. You know why? Because we're arrogant. Our table is full, we've got more blessings than we count, and we have decided that it was not God that helped us do these things, that it was us. By our own wit and our own wisdom, we have made this country what it is. What happened in the last couple of weeks? Well, they had the Golden Globe Awards. Y'all remember that? I don't know if y'all watched it or not. I don't watch anybody's award show. They started doing this thing on television, advertising this thing the other day about the NFL awards. Right. I will not be. No. I don't want to watch your stupid award show. I don't care. Just make a decent movie that I can go watch and not be embarrassed with my mother-in-law with, okay? That'd be fine with me. They had the Golden Globe Awards. Michelle Williams made her acceptance speech. I heard about it, so I Googled it up. CNN's entertainment website has the headline that says, Read Michelle Williams' powerful speech about choice. This is part of her speech, a good portion of her speech. Y'all listen to it real closely, okay? When you put this, the Golden Globe Award, in someone's hands, you're acknowledging the choices they make as an actor, moment by moment, scene by scene, day by day. But you're also acknowledging the choices they make as a person, the education they pursued, the training they sought, the hours they put in. I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made, and I'm also grateful to have lived in a moment in our society where choice exists, because as women as, and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I've tried very much. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making. You, you're listening, right? Not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over. Sometimes messy and scrawling, sometimes careful and precise, but one that I had carved with my own hand, and I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose to choose when to have my children with whom, when I feel supported and able to balance our lives, as all mothers know that the scales must and will tip towards our children. Now, I know my child choices might look different than yours, but thank God or whoever you pray to that we live in a country founded on the principles that I am free to live by my faith, and you're free to live by yours. 
So women 18 to 118, when it's time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. It's what men have been doing for years, which is why the world looks so much like them. But don't forget, we're the largest voting body in this country. Let's make it look more like us. And they applauded her very, very heartily when she concluded. Now, my primary point in bringing this up is not abortion, but I want to lay this in front of you right quick so that you know and you understand. She says, she says, as women and as girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice. I know she has to be referring to, well, she's not. I know what she's referring to. But the only times I can think of it not being a choice involved was in rape and incest. Only 1% of abortions occur because of rape. Only half of 1% of abortions occur because of incest. The other, uh, other 98.5% of abortions that occur are for some other reason. Now, I know there's probably folks in here that have had an abortion. I'm not minimizing your struggle or the pain that you went through or the heartache that you've gone through before or after. But what I'm saying is, and you are welcome to challenge me, is unless rape or incest was involved, you made a choice before you got pregnant. The choice came a long time before the consequence. She's saying that her choice was the consequence, not the behavior. She's in a stupor. Other than children and special needs adults, there's nobody alive that doesn't understand when you put a male and a female together that a baby comes out of that. We all know that. She is in a stupor. She believes that she can live with impunity. She can do whatever she wants to, whenever she wants to, should be allowed to live like ever she wants to. And one of the things, this is a little quick aside real quick, one of the things, and this is me, and it's sexist, and I hate it, I'm sorry, it's the way I think, is that women have fought so hard to be equal to men. You know what they're being equal to? Men, men were and have been for a long time, some men, pigs. Because we thought with parts of our bodies that weren't our brain, and we did things that were totally, totally wrong and improper, and you want equal right to do the same thing? My God, you're dumber than I thought you were. That's, but that's what we're saying, is that we're going to live with impunity. I can do whatever I want to, whenever I want to, how I want to, but then when something happens, then the choice comes of how I'm going to clean up my mess. Men have been doing that for hundreds of years. Women, y'all are just catching up on us. We were founded on religious liberty. We were founded on the idea that God has moral authority. And yet she says, I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making, one that I could stand back and look at, look at and recognize my hand, handwriting all over, one that I had carved with my own hand. I hear in the corporate world that I lived in for 15, well, more than 15 years, every motivational speech I ever heard. And God says, he gave them up. You do hear that in what she said, right? That God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to their dishonorable passions. He gave them up to a debased mind. And she's not the only one. I'm not just cracking on her. Everybody that applauded, it's a new philosophy. This is why I have trouble sitting down sometimes and trying to understand how other people think because it's so foreign to me. I see God in everything. They see God in nothing. Of course we don't understand each other. 
Now, what did she give? What, what, what award? We're almost finished. Y'all hang in there. What, what award was she given that was so valuable that she sacrificed her children for? It was a Golden Globe Award. It's not even gold anymore. A couple of years ago, they redid the Golden Globe Award. It's now made out of zinc and brass and whoop, bronze. Zinc, brass, and bronze. It weighs 7.8 pounds. It is 11 and 3 quarter inches tall. It's 3 and a half inches wide. That's what she got. It is, and, and what she did is she got the award. She made her speech. She got the applause. She went home, and she put it on her shelf. Let me ask you all a question. I forget how long it was that we moved from 105 Big Oak Drive up to where we live now in Whippoorwill Lane. When we moved, we cleaned up a lot of junk and got rid of a lot of junk. And one of the things that we got rid of was my softball and bowling trophies. Softball and bowling. I am a good old boy. It don't get much better than softball and bowling, no does it? I had a box full of softball and bowling trophies. For a few minutes, I mourned. What am I going to do with these? Oh, I hate to give them up. They are in the Jones County landfill now. I threw them away. They were trophies. I have a trophy. I have five trophies, four or five trophies, that I keep in my office right now. This one was from Bell South in 2003. I was a part of a team in 2003 that, uh, uh, it was, it's a long, long story, but I was part of a team, and our goal was was to return $5 million to the company that we were going to increase sales by $5 million. And we got through, we actually increased sales by $50 million. So, whew, we were a big dog. I got this here thing right here. This is brushed aluminum. We can melt it down and probably get a couple of bucks out of that. This is glass on top of it. On the front of it, it says S. Randall Darnell, Pinnacle Club, 2003, I got a trip, I got a cool bag out of this thing. I got something else. I forget what the other thing was that I got. It was the trip. Renee got to go on the trip with me. Uh, I got the bag. Uh, can't remember what the other thing was that I got. Anyway, so I went. I keep this for a couple of reasons. Number one is when you come to my office, I want you to know I've walked where you've walked. Corporate world, lived in it, understand it, know it. Know the ups, know the downs, know what it's like to have horrible bosses, good bosses, uh, targets, I know, I know, so I'm, I'm with you, I understand that, I don't live in a vacuum. Number two, I have it up here for another reason, to help me remember that, you know what, the company that I worked for in 2003 does not exist anymore. Bell South got swallowed up by AT&T, there is no Bell South. The man that handed me this award is dead. My co-workers have, have retired, I don't know where in the world my co-workers are. One of these days, one of these days, my children, I'm going to die, and my children are going to go through the house, and they're going to go through my belongings, and they're going to find this, and they're going to look at it, and they go, huh, I wonder what Dad did for this. Huh. Ben, where's the trash can? That's what she gave up children for. Ben and Anna and Luke will throw my trash away. Her child, at some point, when she passes, might give her Golden Globe to the Golden Globe Society. Or they might sell it on eBay. It is arrogance. It is arrogance. America's table is full 
I suspect every one of us throw enough food in the trash each week to feed an impoverished family from another country. We don't, we don't plan things on First ba- at First Baptist Church on any weekend that has a school holiday around it because our plates are full. We have the ways and means to travel. Nothing wrong with traveling. I'm not cracking on you unless you're traveling every stinking weekend that comes. Maybe there's a problem, but we can do it. Every family in the church has a car. Some of us look like the like my house looks like a parking lot in the car in the yard because everybody's got a car. We have name brand clothes. Most of us carry the the latest wireless device. Our tables are full. And this puts our nation in grave peril because we start thinking that it was us that made this happen. Let me share something with you real quick. Tonight, we're going to be, I point that way because we'll be in the chapel. Tonight, we're going to be doing the New City Catechism and and it's a long story about what we're going to be talking about tonight, but one of the things that it, that it asks uh, is, do you have the power to get food? And my first, question, my first answer was, well, yeah, of course I do. But then I started thinking about it, and I realized that, no, I don't. I don't. I can make money and go to the grocery store and buy some. I can raise a cow. I can go out and get seed, and I can plant seed, and I can grow a garden. I cannot create a seed. I cannot create a cow. If the Lord cut those things off, I would die. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Folks, we've got to understand this because the world is getting a different mindset. A lot of people do. The good news is, is the war is not over and the battle will be won because the Lord, the Lord, the Lord has made a promise that will not be revoked. Our nation is arrogant. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. I think what we're seeing right now is a stupor that's being poured out on our nation. You may disagree with me, but I'm, I'm right. But Paul said, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable, and God has promised us. He told Peter, Jesus told Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of the gospel, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we will go on the offense and tell people about Jesus and live with Jesus in our lives, the world's going to change. He said so. Our hope is Israel's hope. It's the gospel. And it's time the church, it's time for us to wake up and be aware of what these people are saying is not innocuous. What these people are saying is what people believe. And you've got to know what you believe. And you've got to be firm in that belief. Or you might as well be one of them because you are one of them. It's Jesus. Y'all pray with me. Father, I pray. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you teach us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, which is our teacher. I thank you that you're our rock, you're our salvation, you're our redeemer. You are the one who shows us the way. Father, I pray for us that we would not be ignorant and that we would not be fearful but that we would stand strong 
And Lord, that we would believe and that when we hear these people say things that sound right, everyone ought to have a choice. Everyone ought to be able to live their faith like they want to live their faith. But when we listen closely, we realize that that what they're talking about is not faith in you, but it's faith in the evil one. Help us to call it what it is and to stand strong even if it cost us something. Father, please help us this morning. Forgive us of our many sins. And thank you that there is no condemnation in you for those who belong to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.